Welcome to Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Now here are your hosts, Nina and Brian Dixon. What's going on, everyone? It's great to have you guys back. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode on finding your passions and setting intentions. So let's get right into it. Brian, we did leave off with telling everybody that you were getting ready for your trip to Russia, which was, what, five or six days long. So please tell us about your trip. Trip was super cool. Russia is a pretty beautiful city. Uh, definitely one of the cooler places that I've been. I was in Moscow specifically is the city that I was in. And the vibe of the city kind of reminded me of a mixture of Paris and New York because it had like new architecture, but it also had a lot of older architecture. And it was super clean, which I thought was interesting, at least in the Moscow area, it was pretty clean. And there were like extreme pockets of wealth in certain areas, which I thought was pretty interesting. Like I remember pulling up to the hotel and it was like Bentley, Bentley, like six or seven Maybachs in a row and just a bunch of really dope ass cars. And it was interesting because I got there and I had just flown for like 14 to 16 hours with all my connecting flights and my luggage didn't show up. <laughs> so I was like, oh man. And I messaged the people that organized the conference that I was speaking at. And I was like, hey, guys, I uh, don't have any clothes, so I need you to hook me up and uh, bring me to a mall. And so they're like, no, no problem at all. We will get a driver to bring you there tomorrow. And so I walk outside and there's this dude standing downstairs. and He's got this name tag and it says Mr. Dixon, like he's waiting for me. And so I come to find out that uh, Porsche actually sponsored the conference. And so he's like, okay, my car's out front. So we like roll outside and uh, get inside that. And he just starts cruising down the highway and uh, end up getting to the hotel super fast. It was funny. But then they had a driver bring me to the mall the next morning. And this guy's outside just like banging heaters, <laughs> smoking cigarettes, like waiting to go inside because the mall hadn't opened. And you know, speaking Russian and stuff. It was pretty funny. And then I ended up going inside, getting some clothes and bring me to the conference and everything. But the conference in and of itself was really, really cool. I mean, I got to meet a lot of great startup companies. I got to meet some international investors, a lot of different corporations. And I ended up giving two separate talks while I was there. My first talk was on blockchain and cryptocurrency on a financial technology panel where I got to speak with some other really interesting people from around the world that work with fintech startups, or maybe they work in the banking environment and they're innovation focused and trying to analyze the new trends in the fintech market, and some other people that do MA in different parts of the world, specifically in the fintech space. So it was really cool to get to meet them and uh, very, very interesting. And then the second day, I had a talk I gave around basically startups working with corporates and then also scaling international. And that was a really cool opportunity to meet some interesting people as well and develop some great relationships and connections. And when I was on stage, some of the questions that we were getting asked were around, you know, if you had to give one piece of advice to entrepreneurs, what would that be? And so they asked me to answer this question first, and I was kind of feeling the vibe of the audience. And, you know, intuitively, I just started spitting this answer out that I often talk to entrepreneurs privately about, but it's something I really don't speak publicly about on stage, usually because 
there's people I feel like that don't resonate with it all the time. But in this particular scenario, I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to talk about it. So basically, I jumped in in my answer and I started telling the audience, I was like, I think one of the biggest things that entrepreneurs should focus on is the power of human consciousness. And I went really deep into some of the things that we've discussed in our past episodes around growth mindset, around manifesting, uh, you know, creating goals and setting intentions to reach those, really the metaphysical aspects of how we think about creating opportunities in our lives. And I just went off on this long tangent about it. And what I found really interesting is right when that conversation ended on stage and I stepped off stage, a huge huge crowd of people came and surrounded me and started asking me all these questions about consciousness and some of these metaphysical components that I brought up on stage and how I incorporate that into my personal and professional life. And it was so cool because they were very, very intrigued and interested in this and they really wanted to learn more about it and were big advocates of it, which was really surprising to me because it was something that normally I would not talk about in such a large public setting. But there was a ton of people that were fascinated by it and said, you know, I've read about stuff like this before. Can you explain it more? Or how do you use this and implement it into your own life? And so I had to have some great conversations with people to really help explain how I use it in the business environment. Do you feel like you hit a nerve, like an emotional nerve with people? I do. I think that was probably the most rewarding part of my trip was when I learned that there's so many people that want to talk about these types of things, but they actually feel restricted from doing so because they think that if you talk about these things in a business environment, that someone may look at you or perceive you a different way. And it's almost they have this fear-based response based around their assumption that somebody is going to think lowly of them in a business setting because you're talking about some of these metaphysical or spiritual concepts and that should stay out of the business world. It's, it's actually a terrible stigma, right? I think you and I have constantly gone back and forth with it that how do you you know, remain or grow or become successful in this, you know, business community, yet still be true to yourself, right? Like, how can you still, but at the end of the day, I, I firmly believe that we're all humans. And I, I know you believe this, but like, we're all here to just connect with one, one another and, you know, really explore the depths of human consciousness. And there's more beyond work, you know, there's more beyond business and profit and all this stuff. Like, I think that if you have that whole person, if that person is growing on all levels, they will grow in business too. I think that they should all be intertwined together, not just so one-sided in life because that's what I believe leaves you know, the working world so drained. It's because they're not filling and fueling up the rest of them. You know, They're just focused on one area because society says, if you are this super successful venture capitalist, but you meditate or talk about new age shit, then you're no good. Yeah, so I think it's, really interesting because what I learned through that process, and it's been kind of this door that's been opening slowly for me for some time because I put so much energy and intention into this area and learning more about it and then figuring out how I can apply that to my business life, that it really kind of blew this door open to open my eyes and show me there's a lot of people out there 
that are either reading about this on their own, but they're too afraid to talk about it, or they're totally open to talk about it, but they just haven't had the opportunity with the right environment to voice their opinions and experiences with it. And because of that, it really showed me that I think there's going to be this big shift and trend where we're going to start opening the door for people to feel more comfortable talking about a mixture of spirituality and business and how one plays off the other. And you can't have all your energy and intention go towards the business side and leave the spiritual aspect of yourself behind because then you're going to get out of balance. It's going to be too weighted one way and your energy is going to become not balanced and you're going to create issues internally. And so you have to figure out how to leverage one with the other. And once you do that, you're going to create a holistic view point of how you can live through your life, how you can encounter people on a daily basis, how to better balance your energy, how to engage with people in the workplace, and then be able to leave those settings and still have this calm and centeredness about you when you're in your personal life as well, as you continue to learn and research these different areas. So it was a huge learning thing for me in, in basically reaching another level of comfortability about talking about these things in front of larger audiences, especially very business forward audiences. And live, right? And live, yeah. So live in front of people. And I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time offline. We talk about it on the podcast. But you know, when you have a, a large business audience of thousands and thousands of people in front of you, to bring up concepts like this is very, very different from anything that anybody else on the panel is talking about. And so it is a little bit, a, bit of a risk to think about, you know, if you talk about this, how will you be perceived? And then I had to ask myself, you know, what is authentic Brian? What do I really think and know like deep down inside of me of what exists? And I guarantee other people are thinking this too. And maybe they just don't understand it, or maybe they don't have enough information about it, or maybe they're just too scared to talk about it. And so when I had that feeling that I really wanted to be my authentic self and talk about that and really open the door for that, the response afterwards was truly overwhelming because I met so many amazing people that were on that same wavelength. And it literally attracted those people out of the crowd to come and chat with me about the concepts. So... You know, that was a really interesting thing. The rest of the conference turned out really well. Also, I got to meet with some people that I think will turn into some really cool opportunities in that area of the world. Got some amazing connections for deal flow for investment and accelerator companies that could come through the program in the future. And it's a really great area to, you know, expand our horizons and reach into from a personal and business perspective. I know that you only had a couple hours to tour some of the area in Moscow, would you, well, first of all, I'm sure people are wondering like, how is Russia? Should I visit Russia? Should I go to Russia? Um, what is it like? Did you see, you know, some of the, like the monumental areas, did you get to see them? Yeah. So I was able to go around to some of the bigger touristy type stuff just for a couple hours, one afternoon, but I highly recommend it. When I was there, I felt like I was in the U S was it worth losing your luggage? (laughs) (laughs) It it was, it was worth losing my luggage, (laughs) but I was, uh, bouncing around in some of the more popular tourist attractions like red square and Kremlin and, uh, the red house where Putin stays and some of these other areas that are very well known in Moscow 
And when I was there, it literally felt like I was in the United States. It's just that people spoke a different language. Like the culture seemed very similar. The vibe there seemed very similar. It's just that everybody was speaking in Russian, obviously. So I highly recommend it. I think it's an incredibly beautiful city. And it's somewhere that has a lot of opportunities in very dynamic and diverse population of people. Okay, last question about Russia. Did you miss me? Of course, but I was traveling on the astral plane (laughs) to reach you. Okay, thank you for sharing that. So we're going to do something a little fun today, and it's going to be a little bit different before I jump into the main topic of the day. A week ago, while Brian was in Russia, I I hung back in St. Louis and obviously had the evenings to myself, and I was super inspired to do this. I had sent out private messages for maybe the last four or five days To those of you who have left us reviews, given us five stars, sent us DMs about our show, and I asked you guys for a favor. So first off, thank you for those of you that responded. I it was to ask us, Brian and I collectively, um, something personal that maybe we haven't shared before. And I figured this would be a great way to get to know us a bit more on a personal level, since this is still sort of a new show. I mean, this is only our fourth episode, so. And the inspiration actually came from listening to two other podcasts. They weren't our shows. There were two other ones. And I ended up reading a blog off of one of the podcast hosts of the show. And I took this tip from her blog and decided to take her advice and run with it. And to my surprise, here we are with some questions from people. So thank you. And okay, let's get into it. Um, I'll read the questions and then feel free to like answer as we go. Number one. How is it working together? I could never work with my husband and he actually would never want to work with me for fun or something serious. With that mindset, you're right. You would never be able to work with your husband because you just told yourself you couldn't. But if you change the frequency that you're putting out saying you can work with your husband or you can work with your spouse or significant other, then immediately you're changing the energetic frequency and opening the door for that opportunity. So that's what I'll say first and foremost. But whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. It's a Henry Ford quote. So I think working with your significant other is pretty incredible because it's the person that knows you the most. And that can be challenging when you first start out because before you really understand maybe how people tick from a business perspective, you may have to work through some challenges and learn how to interact with your significant other. And there will be a period of time where you'll just have to go through as you're learning each other because you know each other from a personal perspective and you've been with that person for a period of time likely. And when you start working with them, then that's kind of a different dynamic. And what I would recommend that I think Nina and I have learned over the years that's really helped us advance by working together is that whatever happens within the work environment, it can be tricky sometimes and it may bleed over into the personal environment. And you have to really be aware and recognize that so that you can consciously work together to make sure that you know if you have a challenge you encounter together or a disagreement about a decision within the business that you can work through that and just let that go. Do not let that bleed into your personal life because if you do, it'll become very difficult for you to work together. And I think that something that we've learned is that, you know, there's the business side of things and then there's our personal side and we don't let one affect the other and we really have to be able to disconnect. 
But I think as far as working together, it's been phenomenal. We understand each other extremely well. We know who's good at what and who has challenges in other areas. And so we're able to complement each other with our skill sets extremely well also. I also think that we work well together because you and I are both able to compartmentalize things. Like what you just said, like separate the personal and the professional, you know, in one day, in one hour, we could be sitting at the table discussing something business related and budgeting and disagree on something. And the next minute, like we're having dinner together. And so like, are you still pissed at each other? You know, like we kind of drop that, that line is very clear to both of us, I think, where we don't, we don't let it bleed. Usually when Nina disagrees with me, I put her in a wall sit (laughs) until she agrees. Um, I also think that working together, at least for us, I think it brings us closer together. Yeah. You know, because you and I are constantly working towards a common goal, I feel. I mean, almost everything that I do on the side of the companies and this podcast and trying to build a brand with this is 100% alongside Brian. He does work at CI, which is separate. I'm not involved in that at all. But everything that I do, I know that I'm doing for us. And that's a huge motivator for me because as a person, I tend to gun it, so to speak, more and give it my all when I know that I'm someone's riding on my shoulders or like I'm doing it for like a common goal. All right. Second question. Have you guys thought about a hashtag for your podcast? I have. I have not discussed this with Brian yet, but maybe we can come up with one. It's lit. That's what it is. I was thinking just the Dixons, but that might be just too lame. That's pretty lame. Yeah. do better than that. I don't know. We we have to figure that out. We don't. Uh, Number three, can we email you guys? Yes. So on Brian's Instagram page, if you click on email, it should shoot you to his email. And on it's, what is it? Brian Dixon 06? No, it's Brian Dixon. Brian at Brian Dixon dot business. Well, that's your email. Okay. And then mine, if you go to Nina P. Dixon Instagram page, if you click email, that'll shoot me an email as well. Number four, y'all, y'all are adorable. How did you two meet? First date, question mark. Nina and I first met in law school. I think we talked about that briefly on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. And how old are you? 22 at the time. No, I was 22. So you were like 23. I was 23 at Mm -hmm. the time. But yeah, we first met in school, actually. Uh, we came together in one of our classes. We ended up getting sectioned off into the same section of a smaller group of people during orientation. It was only like five or 10 people or between five. And somehow you and I ended up in the same one. Yeah. Very so strange. that's how we first initially met. Well, no, you introduced yourself to me before we got broken off into groups. And I remember your voice was very distinct and loud and it stuck out to me. And you were in a suit, I remember, and you had glasses on. And then minutes later, we get spawned off into groups and you're there in that group again. I'm like, oh, I just met him. So you were like already forefront. Let's see. uh, First date. Oh, I I remember this. Do you remember this? Yeah, it was was a place called The Tavern. Yes. (laughs) It was a restaurant called The Tavern. And you didn't know what pierogies were. That's right. Well, if anyone from St. Louis is listening, I don't think anyone's going to know what pierogies are. It's an East Coast thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay, number five, fun facts about each of you. You go first. Let's see. Fun fact about me is I spend a lot of time researching and reading very like ancient spiritual books. So that's probably obvious by some of the things we talk about. But 
I like to research like a lot of different ancient texts and read them to try to get a better understanding of our reality. And so that could mean I could be reading part of the Bible one day. I could be reading the Bhagavad Gita the next day. I could be reading ancient Vedic texts the next day. I could be reading different types of spiritual and science-based texts for other things. Like it's, I really try to get a broad view of all these different data points and then draw conclusions off of a large data set to kind of make up ideas of our reality, why we're here and how to do things. And at the end of the day, they're all very similar concepts. Like they're just written by different people or written in different parts of the world. But in the, for the most part, they're trying to convey the same topics. It's almost like it's a building and it's all different doors leading into the same building in a sense. And so I really try to educate myself as much as possible to see how spirituality plays into our everyday life. And then I think it's far beyond that too. So I really try to study the science behind like quantum physics, quantum mechanics, metaphysics to see how those two play into each other because I think they really, really do. And I don't think that there's a lot of great content that exists that ties the two together. But the more I learn about both of them, the more I understand how intertwined they actually are. So fun facts about me would be, I think the first one is, I don't know if this is very obvious or apparent to people who know me, but I'm super into, and I don't like to use this word, but I'm, I think more people will understand it into like self-help books and podcasts on self-help. Um, almost, no, actually every day I'm either reading something or listening to something that's self-help related and like I'm obsessed with it. I don't know why they all just make me feel so good. That sounds really cheesy, but it's true. And the second one, I don't listen to our podcast episodes because I don't like to hear myself, my voice of speakers. Supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but I've read before that Johnny Depp never watches his movies after he films them. Like he never actually sits down and watches the finished product. So you're the Johnny Depp of podcasting. Do you know how that makes me feel? You just compared me to Johnny Depp. Probably pretty good. He's a stud in the movie world. Pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. Okay, number six. Are there podcasts you guys are fans of? So for me, I think there's, I I go through phases. There's definitely two that I religiously listen to. One is House of Kim uh, with Kim and Croy Bierman. And the second one is a skinny confidential with Lauren. And I think his name is Michael Bostick. Those two are really cool podcasts. They're more around, they are actually around self-help and lifestyle and tips and tricks for everyday life and issues and whatnot. But I think that both of these shows put a very modern, realistic approach to their things. And they're, they're, they're both very good at storytelling. So probably the number one podcast I listen to is the age old Joe Rogan podcast experience. Mm. Cause I think he's just got so many interesting guests and I like his approach on there because he just does these really long form free flow discussions and kind of whatever happens, happens. And I learn a lot on those podcasts because I think he interviews a lot of fascinating, intelligent people in different areas, and they're always just super chill and down to earth. And I like his demeanor on the show and how he approaches people and forms questions. But you know, he'll still challenge people here and there if he you know wants to call them out or thinks they're BSing on something. So I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. It gets really heated on there sometimes, and I kind of like it. Yeah, sometimes it does. <laughs> uh, number seven, why did you guys choose a podcast? So one of the reasons we chose a podcast is because 
we have written books before and we've done other creative things along those lines. And I think the podcast was our next creative outlet to test out to see if we really liked it. And so far, we really enjoy doing it. We hope all of our listeners enjoy listening and it's valuable for you all. But it's kind of this next generation of reading in a sense. Like mm-hmm. I very rarely read books. I always listen to audiobooks. And I've noticed over the years, the more I've done that and the more I consume them, I've almost programmed my brain to comprehend it better. So for me personally, I'll be listening to audiobooks anytime I'm driving. 90% of the time I'm at the gym. I'm always listening to audiobooks on all sorts of different topics. And I've programmed myself to really absorb material in that way to the point now where if I sit down and read a regular book, it's actually more difficult than what it used to be for me, which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I just consume so many audiobooks. It's what I've gotten accustomed to. I don't think there's anything wrong if someone is choosing to listen to an audiobook versus reading it. So I'm the complete opposite. I have to read something to absorb it properly. At least I thought I was. So for me to do a podcast was I guess it doesn't really in sync, doesn't go in sync with what I like to do. However, I will say that in the last year when we released the book, my best friend likes to listen to audiobooks and you like to listen to audiobooks. And I realized that some people really do struggle with reading. They don't want to. They just, they're different types of learners, like visual, audio, there's all different types of learning. So I thought to myself, okay, next book I write, I definitely want it to be audio. Fast forward to like three months after we released the book, I thought, this is why I started a podcast. I remember speaking with you and, and saying that I want to feel that freedom and creativity again, the way that I did when we wrote that book together. Because for me, that was the first thing in my entire life that I'd ever done on the creative side and had that much kind of like freedom with doing something. Because everything I've done in life was very regimented, you know, like practice law you know, work in the corporate world. Like everything was just kind of like boom, boom, boom. And there's a way to it. I could never really put my own twist on it and feel good about it. You know, it was actually like, no, Nina, you got to do it my way. So I wanted to feel that freedom again. And I believe I, my first choice was video podcasts, which we are, you know, working on and we're going to come out with soon. But I thought to myself, if I could reach an audience in the way, like when my best friend told me that she's more of an audio listener and I see you, you don't do not pick up a book. Like you will do anything you can to find an audiobook. So I figured like, what is the next thing I can do to like share these topics and talk about these things, but in a more like mass way, like how can I get to more people? Cause I don't want the ones who don't like to read, not be able to like participate, you know? So that's why we started a podcast. Um, number eight. Oh, <laughs> I'll let you answer this one. Do you guys have kids? Any plans? We do not. We do not have any children yet, but in the future, we plan to have a very diverse bunch of people from all around the world, <laughs> in addition to our own. Uh, number nine, how old are you two? So I'm 30. I am 31. What are two things you like and dislike about each other? I'm a big fan of how Nina continuously pushes me to think bigger. Um, I would think of myself as somebody that usually thinks incredibly big, but then she'll always push me to go take it a step further so that we always have this vision that's growing and growing for what we want for ourselves and in our life and the type of lifestyle that we want to build together. And that's something that... Can you give me an example? um, 
So I think at first, whenever we were deciding to do the podcast, this was something that was more your kind of thing. And then I was, you know, busy with other projects and I was like, that could be cool, you know, but the more we talked about it and she kind of pushed me on it and challenged me with it about how it could be good and a new creative avenue to get out content that we think is very important that we would love for people to understand better, better and learn more about. And then the more you kind of challenged me about it in a positive way, the more I opened up to it and next thing we know we're doing it. So that's I didn't example. really challenge you. I, I, I honestly approached you because you were such a good speaker to begin with. I feel like you're very good on the spot and you relay things in a much more eloquent manner than I do. I think sometimes I, I talk in circles and I can talk too fast or get too heated or too passionate. So I felt that you were a good person to just be speaking in general. Uh, the second thing you like about me. So, Nina does things in a way where she can be super detail oriented in a good way. So like, especially when we're doing business stuff, which is incredibly important is I usually focus a lot on more of the big picture vision stuff and the execution. Whereas Nina will make sure that we have all of our I's dotted and T's crossed when it comes to like the very specifics on certain types of legal agreements and things of that nature. And I've got to like, you know, a large background in that as well. But Nina really gets down in the weeds and I think does really good at it and she enjoys it also. And so that's something that's super important to have is you want to have the people that can think of the big picture, but you also need the people that can get very in the weeds technical from the execution perspective as well to make sure things are structured the right way. Okay. Two things I like about you. I like your, I'm going to use a couple words here, your demeanor your perspective and your attitude towards just everyday life. You always wake up happy. You go to work happy. You come back home happy. I could call you in the middle of the day and say, let's go do this. And you'll be like, okay, let's go. Like you're just always in a very good, positive mood. And I think, I think that portrays a lot of emotional intelligence, which I don't mean to say in a negative way for anyone out there, but I don't think a lot of men have emotional intelligence. I feel like a lot of guys lose their cool. They can get stressed easily, especially with like you. I feel like you're kind of out there a lot with boots on the ground compared to what I do. And so you have all the excuses in the world to come home stressed or to snap at small things, but you never, ever lose your cool. You're always like this. You're not even even keeled. You're just always happy. You're like always one notch above. So I love that about you. And the second thing I like about you is your ability or your desire to constantly better yourself in every area, whether it's fitness, whether it's diet, whether it's health, whether it's skincare, whether it's business, whether it's taking on more risks or more um, responsibilities with me in business or at home, you're constantly evolving, I feel. And it leaves no room for that push and pull, that I, I sense most relationships have, and I feel like you and I just don't have that because you're constantly like elevating, you know, every day you're like getting better and better. So I really like that about you. Okay. Two things you dislike about me. Shed like a Yeti. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, come on. I, I have a lot of hair and that's kind of gross to say, but it's true. And I don't know, long hair, I have long hair. So it does just, I know it is gross. Um, something I think this could probably apply to a lot of different people is, uh, that we've gotten a lot better about recently, but that used to be more of a challenge was around like social media usage. 
because I think sometimes <laughs> when you spend too much time on yeah. social media, you basically don't have as much of a connection with the person that you're with. And so I think that's something that's probably a more of a blanket statement for society in general is that social media is a great tool, but it can also create like a wall or barrier sometimes to the point where it's like, just put your, put your social media away. Let's go for a walk or something like that, which we've gotten a lot better about. But I think there's certain times where like, and I'll be, I'll, I'll say about myself too. Sometimes you get like just on social media and you're on and it's like this thing that you're staring at and it's like all of a sudden 30 minutes go by and you're like, why did I just waste 30 minutes? It's like minutes a hamster of, wheel that you can't get off. Yeah. It's like, why did I just waste 30 minutes of my life on this dumb digital tool that can be helpful in certain ways, but like everything I just looked at was completely monotonous and like added basically zero value to my last 30 minutes. No, but I, I do know what you're, that was really bad. And that's when you and I had to go on digital detoxes for like two weekends in a row recently, remember? And it's because I think back in 2017, I had started to vamp up your IG and we were trying to get you book you speaking engagements and whatnot. So I was really working on your IG 24 seven and I remember, and your website too, which if you guys haven't checked out, it's Brian, what is it? Brian? Brian Dixon dot business. Yeah. So I was creating these two things for him and really upping the engagement and everything, but I was always on my phone on these apps constantly. And yeah, it just wasn't healthy. Okay. Two things I dislike about you. Hmm. Man, I really had to think about this one. Oh, I know. These are really trivial. I don't have anything serious. When you stomp around the house and I can hear it, it sounds like an elephant is walking around. Oh, and the second one is when you sneeze, you're one of those sneezers that's really loud. And so out of nowhere, I hear this like really loud noise that comes from like your throat almost. And it like makes my heart jump. Like we could be sitting on the couch and bam. I got to get that, those toxins out of me. Yeah, whatever. Um, okay, number 11. You two are so cute and it's invigorating to see a couple so happy and in sync with, I think there's a typo here, in sync with one another. What's the secret? Um, I, oh, you know what? I, I, I can answer this one for now. I believe that choosing the right person for yourself to be your life partner is the secret and not ever, ever, ever settling. I don't care how hard it is for you. I don't care for how many years you've been single or had the worst relationships or can't find somebody. Just make sure that in a sense, you know, I used to listen to, before I answer that, I used to watch this show called, uh, and everyone's going to make fun of me for this, but it was like eight years ago, Jesse Decker and Eric Decker's show on E! And Jesse said that I was obsessed with him from day one and that like pure love and obsessiveness and just like adoration for him never left her that even when he would fuck up and do certain things, it just wasn't like, she just saw him in a different light and would just, and she said that it forced her to grow as a person, you know, where she would maybe snap with other people and relationships over one thing with him. She grew patience and it, you know, it just, it just brings out a different side of you. So I would say that the secret is to make sure you are making the right decision for yourself when, when you're thinking of, you know, finding the one don't ever settle. Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Something else I think that's also helpful is always ask yourself in situations of struggle is, is this going to matter tomorrow? Yeah, for like or trivial, the next day? yeah. Like for really trivial things that I think pretty much any couple 
may have little bickering about here and there, just always ask yourself, like, is this really going to matter in an hour? Is this really going to matter in 24 hours or 48 hours? And it, almost 99% of the time, the answer is no. And if that's the case, then why would you ever get upset about it in the moment right then? So I think if you constantly take that mindset, you have a much better energetic frequency with your partner and you don't sweat the small stuff. I agree. Okay, the next one is kind of the same. It says, what's the secret to a happy marriage? We just answered that. Number 13, countries you have visited. Okay, so we've done, well, not together, but like I'll just list them out. Korea? South Korea? South Korea. Russia? Russia now. China? China and Hong Kong. Mexico? Mexico. Africa. We went to Egypt. That was like the coolest place on the planet. Yeah. India? India. I think those are the Paris? cool ones. If, Paris. We did Paris. I mean, I've been to other countries through connecting flights, but as far as like different ones that we've explored in depth, those are probably the core ones. That's eight. Not bad. Okay. Number 14. Any apps that you guys use every day and find useful? Uh, off the top of my head, I would say I use my podcast app a lot, Apple Podcasts. I think that's really useful, like the knowledge that I try to consume. And lately, I would say for three weeks now... Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that people should do this, but you're the one who told me about my fitness pal, that app that tracks your food. And I think it's really helpful to me to, to make smarter decisions when it comes to eating healthy. I mean, that wasn't really my issue. I was doing it to eat calories because I work out so much, but I wasn't consuming enough calories to make up for it. So my, my body wasn't getting where I wanted it to get. So we downloaded this app. And now I catch myself like not even wanting to eat a cupcake, which I'm like obsessed with. It's an accountability. Mechanism. Yeah. Like you don't want to put in cupcake in there and then see how many calories are in there. So, and we're not ever saying that you should, you know, go to the extreme and not, yeah, you know, you have to be you moderate and I go with to everything. Extremes, though, with everything. But I, that's the app that I was going to say that I started using a lot more recently. It's my fitness pal is the name of it again. And I was having an issue for a while because I work out a lot and I was having an issue where there was. I wasn't getting the results that I wanted to, and I couldn't figure out what it was exactly, but I wasn't tracking my calories. And what it turned out was, is I needed to actually eat a lot more calories than what I was consuming. And once I learned that, like in a matter of just a couple of weeks of doing the tracking, it completely transformed the results that I was looking for and really helped me out a lot. And so that's something that I track pretty much with every single meal. It's pretty basic. You just go on there. You can even like scan barcodes of items and stuff or just do it by hand and track exercises. But it's just an accountability mechanism. I've been treating myself like a science experiment for a long time. And like, that's just one more thing I track. And this is something that we always implement with companies that we invest in and work with too, is you should be tracking as much as you possibly can in your business. And I also take that same view of you should be tracking as much as you possibly can in your personal life, because that's how you hold yourself accountable and you can measure if you're getting better or not in the areas that you think are important. Well, they say that you should be drinking your body weight in ounces of water every day. That's how much water you should be drinking. And if you work out, you should be drinking more than that. And this app helps you track your water intake too, which I was less than half of what I should be taking. But now I'm very mindful of it. So it's, it's a helpful app. Number 15, favorite book. I know what yours is. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mine would be... The only one that comes to my mind right now is The Secret by Rhonda. I don't even know how to say her last name. Byrne, Byron, whatever. Mm -hmm. Number 16, Guilty Pleasures. 
I feel that mine would be certain reality TV shows. I was going to say mine is definitely UFO documentaries about UFOs. But that's UFOs. not a guilty pleasure. I think that's a good thing. It is, but I, I don't know. Some people would probably think that's a guilty pleasure because I don't want to sit around and watch that stuff all the time when I'm like trying to get stuff done. True. But every now and then I got to go down the rabbit hole and see what's really going on in the universe. 17, why St. Louis? So I, I had moved here because of you. Yeah, so I've been in St. Louis pretty much my whole life. Uh, the reason why we've stayed in St. Louis is because of my role with Capital Innovators. And also, when we looked at opportunities in other areas, we just kind of measured out, you know, we could go to Silicon Valley, we could go to New York, we could go to some of these other big places that had place, uh, opportunities that aligned with what you know, we enjoyed doing in the areas that we were focused in. But the cost of living there is like a th- one you know, three to four times what it is in St. Louis. So it's like, it doesn't really make sense. Everyone's connected these days anyway. You don't have to live in a specific location. So we ended up staying here for right now. 18, where was your honeymoon? It was in Tulum, Mexico. If you've never been, highly recommend it. Number 19, pets. Yes, we have two Frenchtons, Onyx and Noir, both females. 20, favorite thing to do together. Oh, we literally do everything together. We usually go on like a long walk each evening outside when the weather's nice. So that's probably a pretty good time to just disconnect. I really enjoy that. Mine was working out. Yeah. Like being at the gym together. Okay. Will you move or always live in your current location? Um, I think I, I don't really see us moving anytime in the future, but you never know what can happen. 22. Nina, what do you find most physically attractive about Brian? And Brian, what do you find most attractive about Nina? Hmm. I like your facial structure. It's very chiseled. I like the color of your eyes. I like your smile. I like how big your arms are. I like how tall you are. You're done. done. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nina's hair. Long, that was the thing that you said hair. you didn't like. What are you, what are you talking about? You said about? I was a Yeti. No, I said your hair shed, but that doesn't mean I wasn't a fan of the style of it. Whatever. Okay. Where are we? Um, they already answered that one. Most coveted self-care routines for each of you. Physical and mental. Um, for me, I, I have to do positive affirmations the minute I get up as I'm like getting ready to go to the gym. I always do that. And physically, I have to work out every day. Same. I'm big into working out. So I do that most days of the week, not seven days, because I think you always need some time to rest the body. But working out and meditation are probably the two big ones for me. Uh, The next question, coffee or tea? Uh, We're definitely tea drinkers. Yeah, we often make tea in a way that I think a lot of people don't make tea these days. And it's kind of meditative. But we will do a traditional like Indian chai tea. So usually it's loose leaf tea. Loose leaf tea. It's not like tea bags. So we'll cook it over the stove on hot water and then add some type of almond milk or coconut milk to it with a variety of spices like cardamom and ginger. Ginger, um, yeah. Cloves. So it usually takes like five to seven minutes to actually make the tea. Yeah, it's definitely not convenient. And on other days, we're big into matcha. We make matcha lattes at the house. And two more questions. How did you guys start your companies together? Uh, It was back in 2017. Uh, We were at Small Batch actually having dinner outside. It was the summertime. And we wrote out our little mini business plan on the back of the receipt of our, of our dinner. Uh, 31, are you going to write another book? 
Yes, at some point, it's very premature, though. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. All right. So today's topic is on resilience. You might be thinking, what is resilience? Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress, such as family, relationship problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stressors. It basically means, you know, bouncing back from very difficult experiences. But then this is why I chose this topic is because I think, why are some of us more resilient than others? You know, when faced with adversity in life, like how do people cope or adapt? And why is it so different from person to person? Some will bounce back. Some will get stuck in their point of life and kind of just get down and out about it and won't ever move forward. Well, science and research shows that everybody has resilience. It's just a question of how much and how well you put it to good use in your life. So resilience doesn't mean that the person doesn't feel the intensity or of the event or the problem. Instead, it just means that they've found a pretty good way of dealing with it more quickly than others. And I also learned that everyone can learn to increase their resilience abilities. It's just like any other human skill, that the greater the resilience is something that you can do at any age, any background, whatever age you're at, you can work this up. All you need to do to increase your resilience is first be aware that you're not a resilient person and then have the willingness to do so. So seek out ways of learning more about resilience from articles or self-help books and you'll pretty much get your answer. So why? what's another reason you and I are discussing resilience today? I personally chose this topic because I always wondered why some of us are more resilient than others, like I just mentioned. And the second reason was I also feel that and I don't mean this in like a, in a gloating way, but my tolerance for certain situations that have occurred in my life outside of my control have really shown me how resilient I can be. Like it's, I look back and it's kind of creepy to me. Like, holy, like I was so young back then and XYZ happened. Like how did I pummel through? And although it was hard and yes, my emotions went up and down several times, I did it. And there was always something inside of me saying, no, keep going, keep going. So I don't know. What about you? So I think that you know, resilience is incredibly important. And as far as different personal examples as to things that I feel at looking back on it, that resilience has literally been the staple of why I was successful in certain areas are a couple of things that I'll lay out for you right now. So one example is I left the legal space back when I had finished law school pretty soon afterwards and wanted to enter the technology space. And I've talked about this on past episodes. And most people at that time in my life were telling me not to do it. They were like, you just finished school. Why would you you know, leave and do this right now? And there was a lot of resistance from external resources, basically, that were saying, this is foolish, you shouldn't do this, it doesn't make any sense. But I knew innately that it was what I wanted to do, and it was the next chapter in my life. And I didn't need anybody else to understand that. I just needed people to accept that and embrace it. 
And it took a lot of resilience at that time to be able to continue on that path, even when so many people were trying to say it was not an intelligent action. And so that required a lot of resilience at that time that, you know, looking back six years later has really, really paid off that I had resiliency in those moments and I continued with it. Another example specific to the business world is Capital Innovators, for a while, we were going around and we had this concept of creating these corporate-based innovation programs to really help become this liaison between corporations and startup companies. And there was a couple other people doing it when we first started shopping the concept around. Now it's became an incredibly successful concept around the world. But we got no's from so many corporations before we were able to get a corporate to agree to the concept and say yes. And it took us years to get to the point where we finally were able to convince the corporation to say, look, we can leverage this 12-week business development entrepreneurial boot camp accelerator program we've developed, and we can apply it to your corporation to help you find new technologies, to help you become more creative and innovative in the workplace with your employees, and to help you create jobs or basically work with startups so that your employees can understand how much more efficient they are with their resources. And it took us a long time to convince a corporate, but finally we did, and we created the Amarin Accelerator Program, which kudos to Amarin for being the first organization in St. Louis to leverage a program like this. It's amazing, and we helped them find new energy technologies from around the world. But that took several years of resilience of getting people saying no, 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 And then finally, just knowing that it was going to happen and believing in that so that we were able to manifest this proof of concept into an actual real world program that we ended up executing on. And now we're about to enter our third year. It's been so successful that we're in our third year of the program. So that's another example. Uh, Another thing that requires a lot of resilience on my part is my ongoing spiritual practice and research. And a lot of times... Some people will think that I am kind of a little bit crazy for some of the views that I have, and then I just continue to research it because I find it so fascinating, and my intuition is always saying that, you know, you got to learn more about this and uncover more about how this world we live in actually operates. And so I have to have a lot of resiliency when it comes to what I learn about and continuing to do it because I have such an innate fascination with it all, even though there's probably a lot of people that would look at me and and not understand because maybe they haven't done the research or maybe they just don't have the information necessary to draw more enhanced conclusions because maybe they've put themselves inside a certain box for what their beliefs are. And I'm always trying to figure out how I can leverage you know, more information, more tying between spirituality and science and connectedness. And so that's something that's required a lot of resilience on my part, but I'll continue to do that forever. And then another example would just be like from a working out perspective. I feel like I started working out at a very young age and I was in sports growing up. I played baseball, I played basketball, I played golf, I played tennis. And you know, there's a lot of different things I did early on that kind of then led me into getting much more into like weightlifting and physical fitness where I'm holding myself accountable and it's not as much of a team sport all the time. And so that's something that really stuck with me is just hitting the gym all the time. And it's like each day I go in there, I'm kind of challenging myself to get a little bit better than the day before. And it was an opportunity for me to continue to be resilient with myself from a personal perspective. And I mean, I continue to do it years and years and years later. And that's something I will continue to do for the rest of my life as well. So it's safe to say that we can both, you know, credit resilience in several different areas of our own lives, 
to like where we are today, right? It's a very important trait, I think, in people. And I think that we should all pay attention to it more, I believe. So let's talk about how someone can increase resilience. There's not just one way to do this, but when you're young, and I'm and I'm using the specific example because I'm going to share something, I don't believe that there's any one way to do something. And I also don't believe that if one way works now, that it's going to continue to work for you five years down the road, okay? So one way is to have supportive relationships in your life with your family and friends. And this goes back into choosing the right tribe, so to speak. But for me, when I was young, this was important and I did have it, right? I had a very strong family background. I had very supportive parents, supportive brother. I had the best of friends ever. Like I'm still friends. I'm still really close friends with them. And we never, we're always supportive of each other. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I could say anything and they'd be said, yeah, go do it. Or yes, let's go do this. But as you start to grow, and so, I mean, you know, years later, I look at this and say, my resilience should not depend on supportive relationships anymore, right? Now at 30, I depend on myself. I am resilient for the person I see in the mirror every morning. So I do want to make that clear that there's a bunch of articles I was reading on this and I thought that that was one thing that wasn't shared with people is that, hey, maybe in the beginning you find the supportive clan for yourself, but ultimately in this world, I truly believe that you have to be resilient for yourself, for that goal that you want, for that dream that you want, for that life that you want, for the feelings that you want to experience in this world. You got to do it for you. You know, you can go to the gym and work out six days a week like you do, but, and I could be all the support, I could be very supportive for you, but ultimately it's Brian Dixon who gets himself in the car, makes the right food choices all day and gets to the gym, right? So your resilience, I believe, goes past the supportive people in your life for sure. There are other factors that I think can help you increase your resilience as well. So we'll go through some of these. Uh, number one, having a positive view of yourself and self-image and confidence in your strengths and abilities. How do you do this every day? I just take the view that... You're an Egyptian god. That's right. <laughs> Ancient Egyptian Akhenaten. No, I, I really just try to have a positive outlook on everything that I do. I really think that if you're not being positive about something, then you're not being in your best mindset. Even if the worst possible scenario is happening around you and it's incredibly challenging... If you can look and find the good in it, then I think you're going to become a better version of yourself and you're going to have a better self-positive image and you're going to basically program your mind for the frequency of love, which I think is the most powerful frequency in the entire universe. It's the whole reason why we're here, in my opinion. And if you can learn how to do that internally, it's going to exude externally through your aura and through your mindset and all the things you encounter on a daily basis. And to me, that's what works for me. That's what I'm constantly thinking is, how can I have more love-based responses and emotions and interactions with people? And that's going to help enhance my self-image and things of that nature. It's very true. I was listening to another podcast earlier and the woman said, she's like, you have to work on yourself first. You know, you have to love yourself first in order to attract that dream partner. You know, you have to believe in yourself before you go pitch yourself to that employer for a job. And I think that when you truly do inside do that work and have that confidence, you have this 
I don't need, it's like a superpower almost like I can do this. I want to do this. I will do this. You know, I am doing this. You build up this resilience because you just believe in yourself more than anything. The second thing you can do to increase your resilience is being able to regularly make realistic plans and then being able to regularly carry out your plans. I know how you do this, but let's just share with them. So I think I used to make realistic plans and carry them out. And now I try to make unrealistic plans that are just like huge for the vision that I have because I figured out the mechanics of how this intention and goal setting actually works. And then once I figured out that how it works through years of trial and error and validation, now I can set goals that most people would consider unrealistic. And I would just look at it and be like, I know I'm going to get there and here's how. And people could look at me like I'm crazy, but I continue to be able to reach further to accomplish these things that I want to accomplish. And then my vision gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the way that I go about it is basically, even if the goal seems unrealistic at the time, I set the goal, I set the intentions like we discussed in our last episode, and then each and every day I wake up and I know that I'm getting closer to that and I visualize it in my head as if I've already attained it. But you're also very, let's not forget, you're also very passionate about the paths that you choose. You're, I mean, let's go back to five or six years ago when you were in the legal space and you like left without no, you know nothing to support you. And it was like no job. So because you want to be in the tech space. So I think that's a very important part that if you want to make unrealistic plans and make bigger goals and bigger dreams for yourself and believe in yourself, make sure you're following a passion. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to make sure that the goals you're going after after align intuitively with what you really want to do. Otherwise, you're going to fall short. You're never going to be able to make it there and you're going to be questioning why that is. And I think the reason is because you probably set a goal with something that you didn't actually want and you didn't have this hunger and appetite to attack. And maybe it's something that you did because you thought others would think better of you for doing it um, or perceive you in a better way. When in fact, if you just would have gone after what aligns with you in the first place, it would have accelerated your path to get there in the first place. The third thing you can do to increase your resilience is being able to effectively and in a healthy manner manage your feelings and impulses. You're really good at this. If I've gotten better in the last several years, it's because I've observed you very closely because I can say no matter whether it's me or family or friends or in the workplace or someone on the street, this is something I truly believe that you have mastered. So I appreciate that. It's something I try to get better at each and every day and obviously never be perfect at it. But I think that what I've learned has been super helpful for me in this regard is to completely delete your ego from your, you know, hard drive of your, your emotions. Your ego is not your amigo. That's right. So once you learn to do that, then you will never have an egoic based response. And that can rear its head in a lot of different formats, but it allows you to disconnect and view situations objectively and really ask yourself that question like, is it worth me coming back and trying to argue this point? Is this going to matter in an hour? Is this going to matter in a day? And then you can really come back with a response instead of a reaction and have a love-based projection to the person you're talking to, which is going to open up avenues that weren't there before. Another word for this, I would say, is emotional intelligence. Right. That's definitely another word for this. Um, another one, having really good communication skills or actively working to improve them helps build resilience. I think this goes back to the whole 
miscommunication or no communication leads to assumptions, which leads to issues, right? And so if you can learn to communicate, I, how would you say that that helps build resi- resilience? So communication helps build resilience both for yourself and for the people around you. And the reason that is, is because if you can't properly communicate how you're feeling or what you're thinking about something to another person or even to yourself, then you're not going to have the mindset of I'll do whatever it takes to get there. And you may fall short because you won't be justifying how you know you can get there. And instead, you'll be talking about things in a way that aren't very clear. And that's how you manifest things. Like if you're not clear about how you're putting intention out in the universe, then you will have an unclear result that bounces back at you. Same thing for if you're in a business environment, like if you're trying to sell a vision and you need your team to be resilient, to build the infrastructure and product and opportunity or whatever it is to get you to that goal with the vision that you have, If you don't have clear communication and you can be convincing and persuading for what your vision is so that the rest of your team and yourself is on board, it's going to be very difficult to reach that. And so the better you can communicate, the better you're going to have with long-term growth and the better resiliency you'll build. I agree. The last one, one of the last ways to build uh, resiliency is having really good problem solving skills, or again, actively working to improve them. I think this one really speaks to me because I think over the last several years, I've had to learn this. I think that when you really set out to do something in the beginning, you know, you're all excited and you're all for it, but then you start hitting, you know, obstacles and stumbling blocks and roadblocks and it becomes a little bit trickier to get to your goal or to get to your end vision, right? And so your first thought is to give up or your first thought is like you start doubting yourself. Like, what did I do? Maybe this is not for me. Like, what am I doing? And I think if you can step back, objectively assess the situation and be able to pivot your strategy, and I know you're going to, you're going to have a lot to say about this. I know that you can make, you can change your strategy on how you're approaching this goal of yours. Then you're back on the path of trying to get there, which is resilience. Instead of letting that obstacle stop you, you chose to say, okay, this way is not working, but I'm going to try this way. Yeah. So I think problem solving is something that, some people are really good at and some people struggle with. Usually people that have more like engineering mindsets are pretty good at problem solving. But one way that I've developed this over the years has been through a famous quote I heard. And the quote is, you can never find a solution with the same mindset that created the problem. And so a lot of people try to create solutions out of this mindset of they know what the problem is, but you got to figure out the solution from that same level of your mindset. When in reality, it's better to completely disconnect from what the problem is to go and find and create a solution to that problem. Very disconnected. That's where sometimes some of the best solutions come from is figuring out a way to disconnect yourself from the problem and don't become so attached to it. Because when you have an attachment to that problem, it can often become more challenging to create a solution for that. So that's something that is sometimes difficult to even put in words. It has to be more experienced. And the more I've realized that is that I really have to think at a completely different frequency of a solution to create something that's valuable to that problem set, then that's helped me improve over time. And by doing that, there's a lot of resiliency involved because when you're trying to go after that solution, it may take a lot of trial and error to get there or iterate upon something that's very valuable. But it's all about, like Nina said, to 
if you don't hit it the first time, re-architect your strategy and then approach it in a different way. Don't continue trying to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. You always have to track what you're doing, hold yourself accountable, and if something's not working, then change it. It's not that big of a deal. Just change your strategy, adapt, and then go after it again. I also think that you will want to look for new strategies and new ways to get to your goal and be resilient when it's something you so badly want to do in your heart, right? That's what makes it easy to be resilient when you're doing something you're passionate about or you believe in a lot. Let's look, I mean, one example, I don't, I don't know the, the right numbers here, but you might, the Starbucks guy, how many times did people say no to him for a bank loan, I believe, to start Starbucks? Yeah, he had several hundred banks that yeah. turned it down before he got the opportunity to get a loan. I mean, and had he given up, then he would not. Then there would be no Starbucks today. So these are just a few ways you can build resilience. But here's the kicker: this is not something that you can build overnight. I mean, it's taking you years of resilience. And you know what? As life goes on and things are thrown at us. I think it will require us to be more resilient and learn as we grow. I don't think there's any one beginning or ending spot to resilience. The most successful people that I know in business are often not people that are even that sharp intellectually. They just have incredible resilience and they never give up and just use sheer brute force over time and really put that time in to get them there to become successful. I often see that out of all the people I meet all around the world. It's usually people that create avenues of their growth, but they're mechanisms that happen just from years and years and years of dedication. And it's things that they love and they enjoy doing, so it doesn't feel like work necessarily to them. However, it's the time that they've put in and they've been very patient with it, but it's this you know, pure resiliency that they've built within their jobs and companies that they own to really take them to where they're at. I do have a personal trick on resilience though. And this is just my view. This isn't something like offline or might not even be something that maybe you agree with me on, but I feel that as I've gotten older, I put my, like how I'm feeling first. Does that make sense? So I mean, resilience doesn't just play in the workplace or it plays in your relationships, your friendships, you know, social media, how you engage with others on there. It, you know, resilience plays with criticism, people who criticize you or judge you. So for me, I look at it as when something happens that maybe stops me from doing something or or seems to be like blocking me on something or a person is, I tend to think of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this situation or this person or this comment make me feel bad. And I take that energy, and I think this is something you taught me. I take that energy and I funnel it back into what can I be doing to get back on track and do what I was doing? You know, like you don't stare at that that one thing that's making you feel off. You know, like if you didn't hit your goals in business, you're not going to stare at that number. You're going to go back home, forget about that, and say, how can I fix this? So you're focused on the new path you're trying to create yourself, aka the solution to everything. So it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take focus to build up resilience. And in another basic, simple way, we could just say like, you have to stop. You almost have to put blinders on. Do you agree with me? Like you can't let anything outside of what you're trying to do take you off course. Yeah, I agree with that. And 
something I've often done over the years, especially when I have people telling me that I can't do something or I'm never going to accomplish that because it kind of sounds outrageous, is I will smile, project love in their direction, and then continue to go on the path that I was. Now, I don't mean I don't take people's feedback because I'm always open to feedback and I'm very receptive to that and I use that to iterate on my approaches, but I'm referring to when you have naysayers that tell you you can't do something, but then don't provide any feedback as to a better route to do it. That could be a positive avenue for you to do it in. And they're basically just like, you'll never do that. You can't do that. That's a dumb idea. I disagree with you. Don't do that. But they don't provide any constructive feedback to a better approach. Those are people that you have to literally just smile, project love in their direction, and then continue on your path. Yeah, definitely don't hold that stuff in. So we've talked about what resilience is, You know, how, what um, steps you can take to increase it. Then we've also talked about how it can take time for you to build it all. But now to kind of tie this in and help people, maybe those of you that are not familiar with resilience, what does this actually look like? What does a resilient person look like in certain situations? So there's three elements to um, a resilient person. Number one, challenge. Resilient people view difficulty as a challenge, not as a paralyzing event. So they look at their failures and mistakes as lessons to be learned from and opportunities for growth. Again, this is mindset and this is perspective. They don't really view that block as a negative reflection of their abilities or self-worth. You know, they're not going to look at that obstacle in their way and say, oh, I failed. No, they see it as like, okay, you know, on to the next, figuring something else out, but I'm going to get there. Number two is commitment. This is a big one. Resilient people are committed to their lives and their goals, and they have a compelling reason to get out of bed in the morning. I think commitment isn't just restricted to work. I think people commit to their relationships, their friendships, the causes that they care about, and their religious or spiritual beliefs. I also think that commitment, the discipline to be committed to something is a very scarce attribute I see in people, if that makes any sense. I think that sometimes the difference between someone successful and unsuccessful in their own eyes is the fact of one person just committing to doing something and another one just dropping the ball on something. Yeah, usually people often like to quit Mm -hmm. when things get difficult or challenging. And if you want to build resiliency, you have to be very basic about your mindset, about what you do with your path. And that is just don't quit. It's really that simple. It's being loyal to to yourself. It's being loyal to your path. Mm -hmm. The, The third one is personal control. Resilient people spend their time and energy focusing on situations and events that they have control over. Oh, you've talked about this one before. Because they put their efforts where they can have the most impact. They feel empowered and confident. So they don't spend time worrying about you know uncontrollable events, which, hey, listen, if you do, you will feel lost and helpless. Go down that rabbit hole and you'll take a different path in life. So the, the key here is to shift your mind and say, okay, I, that's out of my control, but here's what I can fix. Here's what I can figure out and then proceed. And that does give you confidence. So if you're listening to this, now you'd wonder like, am I resilient? Am I a little bit resilient? Am I a lot resilient? Um, where am I on this spectrum? Here's a couple things. The first one is permanent. How do you say this? Permanence? Permanence. So people who are optimistic and optimistic people are more resilient. They see the effects of bad events as temporary rather than permanent. And I know this is so hard 
to remember in the middle of something going bad, right? Like it is so hard to look at something going bad and be like, this is temporary. No, you think the world is ending. Yeah, exactly. And I think some things we've touched on too about optimism is important to point out is that it's always important to keep a very optimistic mindset, I think. And some people will say, well, you have to be a realist at some point. You have to be realistic about what you're doing. And I understand the perspective of that. But when somebody, in my opinion, is like, oh, I'm a realist or you got to be realistic, that's just another word for pessimism or somebody that's like a little bit below the neutral scale and that isn't going to have the view to really take it to the next level because it really requires that positive shift into the optimism to get there. And I feel like be very careful when you're surrounding yourself by people that consider themselves a realist or try to have the realist point of view because usually, in my opinion, those are individuals who are not in a growth mindset and are going to be creating a stagnation of your growth as an individual. The next one is pervasiveness. Resilient people don't let setbacks or bad events affect other unrelated areas of their lives. That's a really good one, too. It's like they, they can compartmentalize their life. You know, An example is, I'm not very good at this rather than saying I'm not good at anything. You know, it's, it's like not, not the end of the world. The third one is personalization. People who have resilience don't blame themselves when bad events occur. Instead, they see other people or other circumstances as the cause. And here's another example. They might say, I didn't get the support I needed to finish that project successfully, rather than saying, I messed that project up because I can't do my job. I think it's just more having a positive outlook on yourself to begin with. Yeah, and also make sure that you're holding yourself accountable. You're not trying yeah. to like blame others in a scenario. And regardless what the downward scenario could be, always figure out what could you potentially have done better in that scenario I instead of trying that, that to That one kind of comes off that way. You're right. But I think what they're trying to say here is be objective, mm-hmm. right? Don't get so emotionally attached. And some attributes that are common in resilient people, they have a positive image of the future and of, you know, everything that they're working on. They have brighter days ahead is how they see it. They have solid goals and a desire to achieve those goals. Um, They're very empathetic and compassionate, but they don't waste time worrying what others think of them. They maintain healthy relationships, but will never bow down to peer pressure. I think that's a good one. And resilient people never think of themselves as victims. They focus their time and energy on changing the things that they do have control over. So to wrap this up a little bit, How we view adversity and stress strongly affects how we succeed, aka resilience, this this mindset of just keeping, you know, keep going. I think the fact is that we're all going to fail from time to time. You know, it's an inevitable part of living that we make mistakes and occasionally fall flat on our faces. But I think the only way to avoid this and like to, you know, to avoid this life, this meager existence is to never try anything new or take a risk. Well, not many of us want a life like that. So I think instead, you know, we should have the courage to go after our dreams, despite the risk that we we might fail in some way. I think being resilient means that when we do fail, we can bounce back. We do have the strength to learn the lessons we need to learn, and we can keep moving on to bigger and better things. I think overall resilience gives us the power to overcome these setbacks so we can live that big life that we dream for ourselves. And there's additional ways of strengthening resilience that we haven't gotten into that I think are maybe very helpful to some people. And some, an example would be people write about their deepest thoughts and feelings 
related to trauma or other stressful events in their life. I firmly believe, because it's helped me, meditation and spiritual practices can also help some people build connections and restore hope. But in all of this, the key is to find ways that are likely to work well for you. You know, what works for Brian might not work for me. What works for me might not work for you, the listener. I think you have to find your own personal strategy for fostering and building resilience. That's right. And there's a couple different books that we would like to recommend regarding resilience and building resilience and understanding the concept and topic better and ways to incorporate it into your life. So hopefully it's valuable for everything that you're working on. The first one is called Big Magic, and the author of that is Elizabeth Gilbert. So that's a great book to really help you learn more about resilience. Another one is called Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And finally, the last one is called Unbeatable Mind by Mark Devine. And to end off on this topic and podcast of resilience, I want to create a quote for you like we do with the end of each podcast. And uh, this was actually a quote by myself, Brian B. Dix Dixon. (laughs) And I was the first person in human history to say it that really talks about resilience. And the quote is, never give up. (laughs) And so I just want to let you know that if you ever hear anybody say that quote and I don't get paid a royalty, my attorney is going to be in touch with you real quick. All right. That's all we have for you guys this week. Um, If you like the podcast or you have any feedback, please, please, please be sure to rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that's something that's super important that we really would love and be grateful if you would all do is leave a review. Hopefully it's a positive one and you enjoy it. And we would love your feedback too. If there's other topics you would like us to get into or you have specific questions for us, please let us know. We'd be happy to answer them. Thank you.